Welcome to Between the Vines. My name is Kevin Martin. I'm here with Jennifer Phillips Russo. As promised last week, we are going to continue to talk about soils and um, get started a little bit into looking at soil tests and what might appear on your soil test, why it might be there and what it means. And uh, we're going to talk about cation exchange capacity today. And uh, Jennifer is going to kick us, kick it off and I'll try to play the um, you know, the farmer who might have questions, uh, we didn't get too many questions from growers, so I will do my best to fill in that role. Jen? <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. So last week we talked about, you know, how to soil sample. And now I want to talk about when you get your soil sample results, some of the information that you get on there and how you can decipher it and what it means for you. And one of those that I hear a lot of things about that people don't quite understand, and it's okay because it is a very confusing concept, is CEC. So like Kevin said, that's cation exchange capacity. And in order to know what that is, I think you need to know what cations are and why it's important. So let's back up just a little bit. I want to give a little bit of differentiation between soil health. Some people call it soil fertility or chemical. It's the chemical part of a soil test that you get out. And that is your nutrients. That's the fertility. Just that when we're looking at just the nutrients or the chemical portion because they have charges to them, whether they're going to be negative or positive, that is what our normal soil health tests come back with. I'm sorry, when we, I just said it and I use them interchangeably and we shouldn't have. It's not soil health, that is soil fertility. When we're just looking at the nutrients in the soil, that is soil fertility. Soil health is when we are looking at the aggregate stability and the penetration, like the ground penetration for compaction, the living biota that's in the soil, the microbes, that's all soil health. We're going to talk today a little bit about soil fertility. And in saying so, I want to try to break down what CEC is without using a lot of scientist words. Basically, your soil has particles in it. Those particles are minerals. They're going to be, well, there's also organic matter. So they're made up of minerals that are composed of either sand, silt or clay particles and organic matter. Most of that has what's called a negative charge to it. And we're going to talk about that in depth a little bit more, but I want you to remember just the soil is the negative charge to it. It is the nutrients or nutritious chemicals that the plant wants that has a positive charge to it. And we know negative and positives attract. And that's where this cation exchange capacity comes in because different particles in your soil have different negative charges to them. Sandy soils are bigger particles and you'd think that they would have more negative charge to it but clay particles have the most negative charge to it because there's a lot more surface area on clay than there is in a grain of sand in the, in the um, soil. Is that okay so far? Am I getting too far into the weeds? Am I getting too, Kevin, are you my farmer? Are you confused yet? Yeah, no, no, no. Okay. I, I'm okay, I think. No, not all soils are the same. And we all know that in our own blocks, you have different soil right within your vineyard blocks. So some have more sand, others have more clay, but each one in its unique blend actually determines its color 
its texture, and its storage capacity for nutrients or those chemical, nutritious chemicals, which is why we get the chemical portion on our soil tests when we get them back. That's what's going to tell you all the nutrients in your soil. Okay. So I need to check my notes. I want to make sure I have it all set down and I don't want to go too fast. I don't want to go too slow for you. <laughs> I was just talking about how sand is larger and you'd think that it would have more holding capacity. If you had the same amount of sand in, let's just say a box is the same amount of clay, you will have 1000 more times of the nutrient holding capacity in clay than you would in sand, even though it's the same amount in a volume. So clay has a really high CEC or cation exchange capacity because of all of the surface area on those thin sheets. And sand has a lower CEC. That is also meaning they're negative. And we want to attract yummy nutrient chemicals, which are positive. Clay can attract more than sand can. Is that helping so far? Yeah. So, um, the only thing I would say is I think it's important to add some context to what the soils look like in our region, um, because especially since this is a podcast, um, you know, you definitely we don't we don't screen IP addresses. You can listen to this whether you're in the Lake Erie region or not. Um, so we've got some glacier stuff, glacial action things happening here, but um, you know we have some very our soil is in a group like we are we have some distinct patterns of what cec looks like in our region um we don't grow anything on pure sand i don't know very many people that do especially without irrigation and we're you know we're dry farming over here so nothing is pure sand um a lot of people like to talk about the the gravel that we have and and definitely nothing is pure gravel either where we're growing grapes. So, so what does, do you want to comment on that? I don't, I don't want to draw any conclusions, but maybe I'll add some. Yes. Well, that's kind of jumping forward a little bit. I want to, I will talk about that and comment on it right now because you asked. So the Cornell soil health department has some fact sheets out there, and this is basically for New York state and common CEC ranges in New York they have, there's five on this table that they have here. And one is the fine textured soils that developed from clayey lake sediments, medium to fine textured soils, and they're developed all from lake sediments. So you're going to find them probably closer down by the lake. And they usually have a CEC of around 25. They range all the way down to a more coarse and very coarse textured soil formed from the gravelly or sandy glacial outwash from the lake bench. I'm sorry, beach ridges. And those are going to tend to be around 12 CEC. So the range in New York State and the common, I'm not to say that you're not going to find some higher, you're not going to find some lower, usually range somewhere in between 12 and 25 CECs, depending on the more heavier soils are going to have the higher CEC and the more sandier soils, gravelly soils will have a lower CEC. Okay. Did that help you did that answer your question? It did. I do want to provide some, I guess I'll call it, farmer context, if that helps. Um, so, you know, if you talk to farmers across the US, what's that? Don't talk about implications because that's what I'm gonna- Oh, no, no, no. If you talk about far talk to farmers across the US, 
you'll come you'll find regions where anything less than 20 or 25 is considered a light soil and you can see here at least according to the the fact sheets that were being referenced that 25 is about as heavy of a soil as we get the highest cec that we have to deal with in our region and i think on the high end that really captures what's happening here i very rarely see anything over 25 and if i did it's like you know it's a 10 acre block with a quarter of an acre of a high cec or maybe a few acres but nothing more than that what's that probably probably poor drainage too in that super high cec possibly yeah and the only thing i would say though is you know when you look at sort of the the lower CECs that they contemplate, we definitely see lower CECs than what they are contemplating. So I actually grew up on a farm that was, I was told had very heavy soils. That was the understanding of, you know, the owner operator, my grandfather at the time, like that was his understanding, you know, the, the nice gravel bench on, on um, route 20 was where you wanted to grow grapes. Um, but, you know, his ancestors had purchased land that was closer to town and had heavier soil because transportation was the big deal in the 1800s, not growing grapes in the mid 1800s. So, um, you know, the, the average CEC from that land is 10. That heavy soil is 10. Um, <laughs> so it's not heavy at all in the context of how people farm across the US. And it's not really even all that heavy compared to the rest of the region. Oh, it's lighter, lighter than compared to the... <laughs> right. And you know, you look at where they expanded that farm over the years and it's, it's around eight. So he was obviously looking for lighter soils, found some, and they are lighter. But in the context of reading a soil sample, you know, we look at across the U.S. Uh, of CECs between, I don't know, maybe three or four and 50. And in our region, everything is between five, almost everything's between five and 20. And, um, you know, we see huge differences or talk about huge differences where there's just a very small difference in CEC. So that's sort of that farmer experience that you know, when you're talking to a soil scientist who who doesn't farm 100 acres, they, they look at data from thousands of different places. Um, their your version of what CEC looks like could be a lot narrower than what they're talking about. You're talking about heavy soils and light soils, and they're going to say, those are all about the same. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I'm trying to multitask because I have another meeting at one o'clock and this is being before one o'clock. So I just want to let know I might be a little bit late. <laughs> let me just tell you why this is important in regards, because this was one of those things that clicks for me. Once you learn it, you're like, oh, well, that's why that happens. And that's why we talk about this. And that's why we talk about that. I want to read through how I set up this story for you that um, I told you about the Clay can hold on, they have more negative, they can hold more positive nutrients to it. But what happens with there is a nutrient that's just sitting there unattached, and there are reasons that it can be unattached. That nutrient just basically leaches out with rain or irrigation. So if you wanna get a little bit of idea of how these nutrients work and attach onto these soil particles and how you can uh, get them to untach and get into your plant, 
I know you've all done this when you were little. And Kevin, I think you were just telling me you did it last week. You take a balloon and you rub it against your head. I wish you could see the mortified look on Kevin's face. No, I did definitely didn't tell you that. Stick it against the wall and it sticks there. And that's that electrostatic energy that sticks the balloon to the wall. But that balloon is not going to stick there forever. Eventually, it's going to lose that electrostatic and it's going to fall off. That's a similar thing what happens with nutrients and our particles. And when we talk, when I'm going to continue this conversation, particles are the soil particles, either clay, sand, silk that we've talked about earlier. I'm just going to call them particles. And then I'm going to try cations and anions as going to be the nutrients. Anion is a negatively charged it's hard to interchange words. I almost said particles. It's a negatively charged ion or nutrient that's out there. A cation is a positively charged. And there's really five main ones, but the ones we're most concerned about are potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the, the three biggies that we really kind of look at. Other ones being hydrogen and sodium. Salt. Yeah. Yep. So they hang on to these negatively charged and the smaller they are with the more positive charge. I know you've seen it on the going back to high school on your chemical periodic table. There's a plus two, plus three, plus one. If it's a plus three, it's going to hold on to that negative charge even harder than a plus one. So that means that certain chemicals are going to exchange faster than others. This is why it's important. So Potassium is a plus one. So it's going to go a lot faster than you're going to have. I'm getting all crazy because I'm staring at your face and not at my notes and talking just from so is more than uh, magnesium or calcium. Okay. So I already went over all of that. Basically, basically, if a plant wants a nutritious, nutritious cation, or if it wants one of those positively charged nutrients that are out there, it has to exchange something. So in order to get it to let go of that negatively charged particle in your sand, you have to, and it can only exchange like a one-on-one -on -one basis. So if it wants a potassium, the plant will give hydrogen. It'll let go of one of its hydrogens out into the soil, which is important because we'll learn it not today, but in another soil thing coming up, the more hydrogens you have, that's what the whole pH balance is off of, it's hydrogens. So if you have a lot of hydrogens or positive charge, you've had acidic soil and less, you have more basic soil. Neutral is seven. So if there's, which is what we'll get into when we talk about base saturation next week is what I'm planning on doing, you'll get a little bit better understanding of that. Yeah. So. I wanted to just sort of draw attention since what we're really talking about eventually is soil test results. So on a typical soil test, you'll see calcium, magnesium, um, potassium. You might see sodium in certain areas. That's a big deal. It's not around us. And the, the, the fifth one that you mentioned is hydrogen. So you won't see hydrogen, but in a way you will, right? Yes. You want to touch on, so how would I see hydrogen? That's, that's what I was just talking about with your pH. Right, right. So that pH will, will directly reflect what's going on with hydrogen in your soil. Your pH is really low on your soil test. You have a lot of hydrogens out there. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to like, 
I you were connecting the dot. I just wanted to make a cleaner line. Emphasize the dot that that it's it's almost like a, a measurement, an indirect measurement of hydrogen. So this was an analogy that I'd heard growing up, and I thought, oh, that is sort of a little nugget that people can hold on to. The cation exchange capacity. You could think about it as like cups that you get at like a fast food restaurant. You can get either or a cone at a at a ice cream. You can either get a kitty cone or you can get the large mega gulp. And depending on like the super size, pouring nutrients into a soil that has a kitty cup CDC will only overflow and things will leach out. Pouring nutrients in a mega size cup, it can hold more. So it's they're not going to leach out. That doesn't mean to say that you can't get the amount of nutrients you need in a low CEC soil. You just might have to do it in split applications or over time. And you can change your CEC, even though it might cha not change a lot, but organic matter adds to CEC. So for people who have really sandier soils, putting more organic matter into it could help you improve your CEC and nutrient holding capacity. Does that make sense? We're talking like sand is a kitty cup and clay is a mega cup. Okay. What are your implications? And I'm not trying to like speed through this, but I don't also want to throw a whole bunch of stuff that just sounds crazy science at you. The higher the CEC, the more clay or organic matter is present in your soil. And it usually means that high CEC soils have a greater water holding capacity. And you all know that if you have heavy clay soil, most likely you have tile lines. Low CEC soils are more likely to develop potassium or magnesium and other cation deficiencies. But while CEC soils are less susceptible to leaching losses of these cations. Does that make sense? I'm sorry, what was less susceptible? High, high CEC soils are less, did I not say that, sorry. I think you did, I might, the audio might've cut out a little bit. So for sandy soils, a large one-time addition of these cations or nutrients like potassium could lead to that leaching. That's why CEC is important and I need you to understand your CEC. But lower CECs, the faster the soil pH will decrease with time because the hydrogens have nothing to attach to, not as many as they do. So you tend to decrease in your pH over time with the lower CECs as well. The higher the CEC, the larger the quantity of lime that might be added to increase the soil pH. So sandy soils need less lime than clay soils to increase the pH to, to desired levels. I hope that gives you a little bit better understanding of CEC and why it's important to what you're going to do to amend your soil fertility. Yeah, the one thing I would say is your experience in farming might be different than that conclusion a little bit because um, if you need more lime because you have a heavier soil to change your pH, uh, you, you're changing, eventually you're changing subsoil pH and you're not measuring it. So um, it takes a whole lot of lime in a heavy clay soil to change the pH. And then that pH tends to fall because the lime moves down in the soil over time. And so, if you have low subsoil pH, it might feel like, even though you have a heavy soil, that your uh, pH is constantly evolving or decreasing in a way that you wouldn't expect 
because, hey, it's a heavy clay. I should put a whole bunch on and it should be better. That's not always what happens, but you might miss that depending on what your resources are because in a, in a tillage situation, that's not a dramatic thing that affects your production. But since we do no-till, we know everybody's just putting lime on top. And so it's very difficult to get it to move down into the soil and to get a lot to move down in the soil might take a decade. And so if you know what your subsoil pH is in a heavy clay soil, you might know where it's going to go in the future. Well, that was our little bit of discussion on CEC. All right. <laughs> so probably logically the, our next session on reading your, um, your soil sample will include liming recommendations. Uh, CEC is one way, of course, since it's a measure of hydrogen, as Jen mentioned, to try to understand exactly how much lime you should put down. Uh, it's not necessarily the way everybody uses now, and we that's just sort of our teaser for next week, but it is one way that it can be done, and it sort of indicates uh, what lime is required, but there are other ways to do that that I think science, so, soil scientists have decided are better now. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't need to understand CEC because it affects sort of all of your other nutrients and what those recommendations should look like as well. Uh, thank you for joining us this week. We'll be back next week. Uh, I'll kick it back to Jen to see if there's any last comments she, want to she wants to add since, since I did. And other than that, we will see you next week. No, there really isn't anything else I wanted to add to that particular thing, but if there is something you're not understanding and there is something that you want us to really focus on before we go, next week is planned for limine and pH, touching on base saturation as well, because it has to do also with those positive negative charges. But please leave a comment below, email one of us, and we can certainly address those concerns. This is not all going to be soil based. There's also going to be some business management stuff put in there. We're not going to commandeer and just have soil science for the next four weeks, five weeks, but I think it's yeah, yeah, yeah. And we could, you know, we could do that right now. Um, now that you bring it up, one thing that's going on that's really interesting right now is there are some real questions about what the best, the best CEC is, you know, if you were buying a farm. So I think I mentioned earlier, historically, uh, I grew up on a farm where they said, you know, the CECs are too heavy. The soils are too wet. Uh, it's too hard to change things in the soil and you know, it would be nice to just have gravel. And now that we're seeing differences over the last five to 10 years in rainfall patterns, and uh, we're also seeing differences in the way people manage their farms, there have been, you know, some discussions about the value of heavier soils in, in commercial juice grape farming, not necessarily wine grapes especially in dry land farming, because you have the potential to uh, have more resiliency in drought-like situations, which did, were very, you know, drought-like situations used to be very unusual. And, you know, I don't know that we can draw any conclusions yet. I just want, I think that, you know, there are a lot of farmers thinking about that. So if, if you're not one of them, maybe you should start. Um, it's certainly, you know, something worth a discussion to think about. I don't think we can do much more than that because I don't know if this was a 10 year thing where we get more right. drought stress or if it was a hundred year thing, like who knows? So 
it's definitely been something that has gotten some of the farmers talking as some of the gravel sites had years where they did underperform in the last 10 years. And there's sometimes more risk there if you're paying, you know, an extreme premium for that, that lighter soil. And then you're, you're dealing with drought stress, which lowers your yields. So I don't know where that's going to go, but it definitely has the potential to impact farm values. And it has in the past. Uh, CEC has always correlated pretty well with farm values. It's just which direction is it going to correlate with? Um, you know, what's that? How do you combat, how do you combat drought stress? Um, you can change your CEC eventually. <laughs> or add your irrigation. Um, you know, we're not really in a good re region for irrigation for a couple of reasons. Like the investment in irrigation is undermined by the fact that you'll have three or four years in a row where you don't need it at all. So then you have all that infrastructure out there that's wearing out and, you know, potentially in the sun, depending on what it is, and uh, you're not using it at all. So that's not good. The other thing is for a lot of our acreage, they don't have access to reliable water. So they have plenty of water to irrigate when they don't need to irrigate. And then when they do need to irrigate that subsurface or surface water that they have access to, it goes away. They use it up. So if you're not in that situation, if you're in a situation where you know you have extremely light soil and you're betting that um, droughts are going to become more frequent and you have access to a lot of inexpensive water, then irrigation can really help you manipulate vine size and sort of change the economics for you. For you. So but, I just want to throw some other things out there just for people to think about. I mean, this is why we're here, why we develop research projects, why we are trying to find best ways for our growers in this region knowing that most of you are non-irrigated commercial growers. Right. But yeah, it does go back to, you know, to speaking to those farm values. If I had a farm 30 years ago that had access to irrigation that was super reliable, just access to water, that really would not have impacted the farm value at all. I don't know if it is now, but it could in the future. Um, there's mulching, there's roll crimping cover crops. There's a whole bunch of things that we can start implementing. Yes, there, we definitely need to have a conversation in the future about water conservation and how you conserve the water that is sort of given to you naturally. Um, you know, the old way of doing it was Roundup and Roundup was good enough, but are there better ways? And is Roundup going to be around? But I think that's, that's definitely a conversation for, we're, we're weeks away from as we, as we work through this soil test stuff, but probably relates to soil health. Um, so we'll be in touch with all that information in the future. Well, thanks, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye everyone.